Everyone knows you should never take a physicist to a sci-fi movie. The same can be said about a biologist and a creature feature. We can point out how certain things are biologically unlikely or downright impossible, but that would be boring. So rather than pointing out what can't happen, why not ask ourselves, what if it was real? So using my super nerd levels of knowledge about biology, physics, and mythical creatures, my friends and I will explore how different creatures could have actually evolved on our planet and what they potentially would look like. Welcome back, everybody. My name is Mac. I'm Mike. I'm Dean. And this is a real creature feature. And today we're going to be doing something different again. Today we are going to be talking about a movie. Yay! This isn't really a two-parter, but it's our the beginning of our two episodes where we're going to be talking about movies mm-hmm. episodes. Uh, so if you like this, uh, please let us know. Tell your friends all that other stuff so that we can know. Okay, cool. We can do this more. Or if you hate this, we'll never do it again. Oh, yeah. Um. So the first movie we're going to be talking about is going to be the movie Gattaca from 1999. Was it 95? I believe. Oh, no, it's not 95. 97. Haha. 97. Yeah. 1997. Uh, starring Uma Thurman, Ethan Hawke, um, Jude Law, and. Well, a bunch of other well-known actors. Yeah. I I was I completely forgot um, Ernest Borgnine was in it. Oh yeah, yep. No, I I like I like him. He's. Yeah. But Michael wants to take lead on this one, so uh, take it away, Michael. All right, thank you. So, uh, I've watched this movie about three or four dozen times, mostly yeah. because um, uh, back in the day. I used to have to do my homework at my parents' business at night when it was closed. So it was always dark and the silence was always deafening. So we would have to go to the local video slash liquor store and mom would let me rent movies. And so I would do it in an office that had a VCR and a TV and so and just keep playing the tape on repeat until I was done with homework. So I have watched this movie in my youth at least a dozen times. And at least another half a dozen times since then. Because it's low-key one of my favorite, like, sci-fi movies. And it's very, like, I I always liked how really interesting it was. Mm -hmm. Because it was was basically Andrew Nichols' first big, like, directorial debut and his first major writing credit. Uh, I've learned this just looking into his work. He does not make any safe movies. Like, everything he does is in some way designed to challenge you in one way or another. Good, I, bad, or otherwise. I thought you were like, as in, like, it's a gamble. Which, which oh, yes, that would yeah. also probably fit under that. Yeah. I mean, probably the one that was his safest bet was The Truman Show. And that was only because it had Jim Carrey in it. Yeah. You know? But, yeah, he, I mean, his other, his other um, known movies are the Al Pacino flick, Simone. Where he plays a, where he plays a business manager to an artificial intelligence. Oh yeah, I remember that movie. Lord of like... War with Nicolas Cage, hmm. uh, Justin Timberlake's In Time. Oh, and The Host, which was based on, which was a script he wrote based off the Stephanie Myers book. Oh, oh, he did. Yes. Hmm, interesting. And the Terminal. Yep. 
Oh, that's his, that would probably be his most famous with one. uh Tom Hanks. Yeah. So arguably that was actually the terminal is actually his safest film then. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Wow, he actually hasn't done all that much. One, two, eleven. Wow. Uh, directed like uh, oh no no this is the writer never mind uh director eight oh eight yeah he does a lot of like what i would call chancy films yeah yeah and you know more credit to him because i'd rather have a director who takes a chance than someone who's just willing to go the safe route in a lot of cases he was not credited for uh minutes of course not but still but so quick plot synopsis though for the film vincent freeman Ethan Hawke, has always fantasized about traveling into outer space, but is grounded by his status as a genetically inferior invalid. He decides to fight his fate by purchasing the genes of Jerome Morrow, Jude Law, a laboratory-engineered valid. He assumes Jerome's DNA identity and joins the Gattaca space program, where he falls in love with Irene, Uma Thurman, and... Okay, so I can't read this next part because it's definitely an incomplete sentence. <laughs> All the while, a murder is a murder is being investigated in the background of one of the mission directors for the Gattaca space program for reasons and hijinks ensue. <laughs> that's how I always like to say no matter what happens, like that's how I want to end almost every description of like a sort synopsis is always end it with those three words and hijinks ensue. Doesn't matter how serious the movie is, how. Oh, Ethan Hawke and I have the same birthday. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Uh, also, this is a joke that my sister uh, talked about. Uh, this movie led to the birth of um, oh, oh Maya, Maya Hawk. Uh, yeah. Oh, that would actually probably yeah. make sense. The because, uh, yeah, this is I think I think this is probably one of their first movies that they uh, Uma Thurman and had him. Yeah. Whether if not, they met on the set, and that's know. yeah. They yeah they met on the set. So Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke were married. Yep. Yes. And had a kid. Yep. Or at least one kid. I don't know if it. But yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. But yeah, it's uh yeah, it's uh it's probably one of my favorite low-key sci-fi films because it's a super interesting concept that as the years have progressed, becomes more and more of a of a chance of having an actual reality. Yeah. Minus I think all of the brutalistic architecture that's in the film. Yeah, uh that uh well unless communism took over. Yeah. But I don't think that's the case. How dare you associate brutalism exclusively with communism? Well, I'm 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 uh, comparing it to Soviet communism also because it was freaking brutal. Uh, I was in uh, East Berlin, and it's interesting just seeing the difference between West and East Berlin, and it's just like there's a lot of just big gray boxes. Look, this I'm is gonna... weird. <laughs> Look, all I'm going to say is this. Not that I could afford it, but I would want to live in Jerome and Vincent's apartment. Oh, I yeah. like that. I love that brutalistic architecture they use for that. Though, I think after we're like watching some of the... Because, like, uh, one of the things for... I'm, this is in my notes. It was... It, it only was a $36 million movie. Yeah. Um, and But the room that they are in, like, where you see the spiral staircase, mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure that's also the room where uh they are talking to the the parents are talking to the doctor yeah. about having the ne their next kid it's entirely possible because i know they filmed a lot of it at um because again why the why the architecture is so brutalist is 
it was done on a university campus was a lot of it. And I believe it was a in government was, buildings. I think one of yeah. them was because it was like some water, like I don't want to say water treatment. I think it was like water studies. If it would. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was at university. It was one of the university of California campuses was where a lot of the film was shot. Yeah. So the film does open with two title cards. The first one is a passage from Ecclesiastes. Consider God's handiwork. Who can straighten what he hath made crooked? Followed by a Willard, a Willard Galen quote. I not only think that we will tamper with Mother Nature, I think Mother Nature wants us to. Now, I don't know how much I actually, I don't know much about William, Willard Galen, but he was definitely one of those people where I'd be like, I don't know how I feel about you, but you're interesting to talk to. Yeah, uh, there was something that I uh, these are like two ideas that I wanted to make. So I do have notes for like all this ju just to yeah. talk about it. And uh, a lot of them are just like from snippets from the movie. Yeah, and just like this app, this app. And uh, the one that I wanted to talk about for the ideas was um, what? Ha well, for the genetic engineering and everything else is mm -hmm. for like um, designer babies is what happens if you edit out something that's and two is it's possible to overpaint a painting not yeah. not in the context of like oh you painted over it i mean like you put too much into it and it takes mm -hmm. away from what the painting well well we're going to get into that too cuz that's yeah. kind of what the importance of the subject matter is in this yeah. whole thing exactly. about eugenics but uh the film opens with vincent at his desk putting in putting in entry coordinates for a flight to Saturn's moon of Titan. He's preparing for what is a trip. And then you watch him basically like just vacuuming up his keyboard. And you're like, well, That's don't know weird. why he's doing it. Cause they don't have explained anything yet. If you've never seen a trailer, you have no idea what this movie is about. You just think this guy's a weirdo who likes to keep his desk clean, yeah. which is actually mentioned in the film. Well, it, you open up and he's actually you've got all the skin follicles and hair follicles falling out and mm -hmm. he's inside of a Uber shower that also incinerates shit. It's not a shower. It's just an incinerator. And I absolutely agree with Dean on this one, because that's yeah, what I. Yes, yes. Yeah. Not paying attention. It, not not really either knowing or paying attention to what's fully going on. It does look like it's a shower combo incinerator. So you have him getting out of the incinerator and oh, yeah. then um, he's sitting there and taking blood from the blood packets and putting them into these. I thought they were nipples at first. I can see that, too, <laughs> because they were skin colored little things that he eventually put onto his finger and glued onto his finger that had a little pocket for blood. Mm hmm. And all this other stuff. And my initial thought, having nothing, I knew nothing of this. I was like, oh, is this an AI? Uh, is this a synthetic robot that has to hide that? And then he's sitting there and then we get to him doing these. Oh, you didn't do a stroke wrong. And that stuff. And I'm like, oh, is this a robot that has to make himself look human is this is this gonna be the story where we've got a robot trying to you know there's a secret culture of um cyborgs that are trying to survive in the society and whatnot that'd be interesting 
So then when he was, that's my mind because, oh, you didn't do a stroke wrong. Okay. He's oh. a computer intelligence, so he can do that no without wrong. doing yeah. a stroke. Uh, and, Blade Runner. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of Blade Runner-esque. Let's just make a new Blade Runner. And then I believe they did that 2048. And then he's dust. Then so he's vacuuming and his boss comes by and is like, oh, you keep your place nice and clean. Well, cleanliness is next to godliness. Yeah. And it's like and but then once you learn more about the invalids. Yep. Because that's that's my internal logic is not invalid is they're invalids. Yeah. Which I make sense too. It's not. Yeah. And and that stuff. Yeah. By their definition, they are. But uh, so then he then he dusts the particles and he puts a hair on his comb in the drawer and that stuff. And yep. so I thought it was going to be a totally different movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it seems like it's going to be a totally different movie. And then you get to the murder. Yeah. So murder mystery. Yeah. Well, the whole thing is it opens basically and you watching you're watching Vincent play like plant all of this hair follicles, skin samples, this evidence. <laughs> yes. Evidence of evidence of Jerome. Yes. As it goes again, we don't know much about what's actually happening. If you haven't seen a trailer, you have no clue. And then you get to this idea of seeing the murder scene because we don't know why this person was murdered yet. Cause mm -hmm. we need about 25 minutes of understanding who Vincent is and where he came from. I'm like, those are also super substantial keyboards yeah. that they can be used as a murder weapon. I don't think mine could be. <laughs> well, with enough effort. My favorite line is like, some, I think they ADR'd this one in. It's like, well, I think we can rule out suicide. Yeah. To which I said, to which I said, really? You don't think he just picked up the keyboard and beat himself to death? He could have fell, fallen on yeah. it. Yeah, we don't know. Why are you judging? You forget about those clickety-clackety uh old-fashioned keyboards yeah they could break a tooth yep but we uh but uh vincent has a line and how he opens up we flash back to a very tasteful scene of his conception getting getting uh conceived in the back of a car well yep that's the specifically that's the line i want to go with because i didn't know this he said i was conceived in the riviera not the French Riviera, the Detroit variety. Yeah. Because what I didn't know was that the vehicle that they that he was conceived in was the 1971 Buick Riviera. And here's the thing, and here's the connection. That's the same make and model, and even I think year of vehicle that Wayne Gray drives in Re Evolution. That one I'm gonna have to double check. You are correct. It's a 73, yeah, uh, Riviera. Yeah, told you. I watch a movie good. I watch two movies good. Yeah. You randomly told me that it took place in 2025. And then I'm sitting there and I'm like, this is all 1950s. What? How does this? And then it's like, oh, this is the artistic style. Um, I, the, the, the whole thing about it being the year 2025, there's no implication except for the fact that they use the term in the not too distant future. Next Sunday, AD. That's one of the first questions I had for about this movie was, um, well, first one was how much DNA is actually in hair, blood, urine, skin flakes, and nails, etc. Well, um, which I also think nails don't actually have all that much DNA, but what happens is because it's from um, you biting it off. 
this is the this is the world where Theranos actually came into being and works. Yeah. Um, but then it's like, uh, that was my first. My second question was, how long has this society been around? Must have been around for a while because of all the insurance stuff that they were talking about. Because when he was going to school, they're like, oh, we can't let you him because, you know. He's going to die in 30 years. So we can't have insurance. So we can't, our insurance can't cover it. And also the fact that they have uh, the, uh, one of the characters is an older man who was genetically modified. So it's either he was one of the first. It, it's, and, but this is also what I take into account for, for some of this is if this movie was that, you know, cause at the time this film was released, that's essentially around 28 years in the future. Yeah. Depending on how we're looking at it, this could still be relatively new technology at the time of Vincent's birth. Yes. Because the entire point is that that point, it's still relatively new technology, depending on when it comes out. Maybe it's not 2025. I just use that as like the joke time because it's 30 years in the future at that point. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it's this whole thing of... um. I, I don't I always never like the idea of a in the not too distant future because again, still my future. Yeah, I could still exist there. Yeah, yeah. Don't tell me that I can. Don't tell me that I'm going to. But there's a reason why Andrew Nichol picked that, and we're going to get into that towards the end. But yeah. there's a reason why he specifically said the not too distant future and didn't imply it was some alternative reality. Yeah. And there's I'm going to get into that at the end. But also. When you think red, relatively speaking, yeah, what does that? And that's the best thing about that term, uh, not too distant future, because it's like, well, yeah, in the grand scheme of things, America is a really young country. Yeah, it's two hundred. I know it's two hundred and fifty almost now. Yeah, so it's like, oh, you're right. It there you go. It it could be something like that. Yeah, and that's the the beauty of that particular phrase. I'm going to say 2035 now, but uh, that's not, that's besides the point. We've gotten off track. Yes. Back on course. Weird. So in Vincent's in Vincent's birth, he is given a he's given a blood test to determine certain genetic possibilities. Yes, Possi- it's possibilities because they gave him like a percentage chance. Here are our stats. Neurological condition, 60 percent probability. Manic depression, 42 percent probability. ADD, 89% probability. That hit me hard. Yeah. Heart disorder, 99% probability. Early fatal potential, life expectancy, 30.2 years. Yeah. It was just like, wait, what? <laughs> when I the saw idea that... of putting an expiration date on somebody to that point that the technology has advanced to the point where you can put a the idea of a life expectancy on someone. Some sort of... Not including, like, if they just lived a life and died of natural causes, this is their most likely outcome. I just had this thought about it, it too. It's like, okay, you have the technology that you can analyze someone's DNA that fast. Uh, there are reasons why that's actually really difficult, which I will get to later. But the fact <laughs> yeah. that you can do that right then and there that fast, but you don't have technology to help somebody with a heart condition. Yeah, well, at least not at least not Vincent's kind of heart condition. Yeah, because we're going to get into it. We're going to have to talk about Irene next. Yeah, because that's going to well, be important. My yeah. uh, the dad pissed me off. Oh, of course. Oh, it's of like course. it just ticks me off. Is like, what does it matter? You 
because he wants he wants because he, he wants, wants a perfect son. Yeah. I mean, that's the entire point. He he wants the son. He wants a son worthy of his name. Exactly as the movie states. What is worthy about how how did you get the worthiness of your own freaking name? Well, uh, because his but, dad loved him. Yeah. Uh, unlike uh, Vincent's dad. In like this is what makes this future in a lot of ways very terrifying. You've brought it up before too, and other ones, and we'll we'll talk about this too. Um, especially because once we start talking about Jerome, which is going to come up very shortly. Yeah. Um. So basically, because of all of these issues that they find in Vincent's DNA, though, he is basically ostracized from society. He can't go to school because the school is where the insurance won't cover him. He can't, and every everyone treats him like basically a ticking time bomb. Any little thing could set him off and he'll die. Another thing about that section that and me just being how I consume things, I was just like, I thought he had one of those uh, hematology, uh, the, the Russian prince who. Oh, you mean, um, no, uh, not, not blood clotting. Hemophilia? Yeah, hemophilia. That's what you're thinking. Hematology would be the study of, well, of the, blood. The study of the blood, but not the actual condition. So then the mom comes rushing out when he fell and heard him, you know, fell and scraped a knee. I was like, oh, did I miss that he, his blood isn't clotting? No. And that stuff, but it's just like, but it's a heart condition. I'm just like, yeah, I they, would understand if it was like, oh, he has blood clotting issues, but oh, he's got a heart condition. Yeah, and, and that's all it is. And yeah. part of and part of why it's not such a big thing for me is, you know, I have people that have heart conditions and lead normal lives and yeah. don't have to worry about that stuff. You know, well, it's yeah, it's not hell, something where one... they're precious little glass children. Yeah, no. But the problem is this in a world where you know that there is an X amount of probability of something happening to your kids, you know, uh, like in the case of Vincent, a heart condition that changes your perspective on so many things to know that there's especially when you put a especially when you put an expiration date to all of that. It's the question of would you want to learn when you're going to die? Yeah. And most people are like, no, because it will a takes the fun out of I get of life at some level. I I always liked in Big Fish. It's I don't want to know when I die. I just want to know how I die, because then I can probably avoid the event somehow, at least for a while. So moving on, though. So the parents now after Vincent's a little bit older, they decide that they're going to have a second child. In what is now considered the more natural way to do things, they consult their local geneticist, basically going through and creating four healthy embryo, basically creating four healthy egg cells, where they will then genetically manipulate them to take out any potentials for, you know, any potentials for like certain carryover genetic diseases you don't want. And then basically you can customize your kid. Yeah. Whatever you kind of want. And the doctor is basically saying, you know, you want to go with the full gamut, you know, get rid of some of the predetermined like issues, baldness, obesity, alcoholism, like predispositions to some of these things. We can just clear that all right out. 
And then they're like, well, what are you looking for in your kid? And the line that it hits kind of hard and is really interesting is when, you know, Vincent's father asks if it's good to leave anything to chance, the geneticist says, we want to give your child the best possible start. Believe me, we have enough imperfection built in already. Your child doesn't need any more additional burdens. Now keep in mind, this child is still you. Simply the best of you. Mm -hmm. You could conceive naturally a thousand times and never get such a result. And the idea is creating this entire, like, genetically superior group of people just by cutting out all of these things that would be considered a burden in the past. You know, any predilection for, like, certain items, like, to certain diseases. The idea of just creating your, creating your, essentially... Not to not to get all uh, not to get all Nietzsche here, but you know, let's make our Ubermenches while we can. I have such a complicated uh, history with this concept, and such a complicated opinion with it that yeah. it's it always it. There's no simple answer. There's no simple thing for that because it's the concept of so you know that you have a high likelihood of your kid being getting x because you have a family history mm -hmm. why would you not delete that from that possibility yeah to all but then there is a point of where you are going too far and it's like what if you knew that you had your kid was going to have downs because you already tested it at the embryo stage and you're able to edit that embryo would you not and it's such a hard question because you there's a part of you that would be like no i'd still love them no matter what but it's like but if you had that chance what person wouldn't have to do that but the dark side of that is um there's a i've had a issue with iceland for like a long time yeah. because there are so many people that are like oh yeah iceland such a great country great country and then it turns out they had a really shitty economy and then it collapsed Something else that uh, Iceland was known for, I don't know if they still are, but uh, there was something that uh, there was no, there were very, very few people there that do have Downs. Um, and that's because it is socially more encouraged to have an abortion if your kid has Down syndrome. And that's, once again, it's one of those things where I'm like, I don't want to say I'm against that because it's your body, you can do what you want, but I have a problem with the idea of society being cool with that on some level. Yeah. Because of eugenics and everything else. I, I don't, I don't know if I've ever uh, uh, confessed this, but I have a eugenics book that we found at like half price books years and years ago. The reason why I have it, it's not because I believe it. It's because I find eugenics to be evil on such an, a high level that it's, to the point that I know if I ever went evil, if I ever actually was an evil scientist, I probably could see myself being Mr. Sinister from the X-Men. Because that's like that's just the dark side of it. Because it's it's not evil inherently in many aspects, but it's an evil because it's a you can be like, well, what's the harm in it? What's the harm in us trying to do X? And it's the little babies. It allows for little baby steps that can. It's an insidious evil. Yeah. Well, and so that always. Once well, again, like I said, I can't have a strong opinion because then I feel like I'm a I'm a hypocrite in some aspects. But then I do have a strong opinion. 
Well, it depends on where your moral code sits on that, too. But the whole thing is, it's the problem of wanting to, you know, in creating the society, like you say, it's in so ways how banal evil can be. Because what's the harm in fixing one thing? What's the harm in then, you know, but that's just one step. Once you normalize that first step, then what's the harm in going to the next step and to the next step and to the next step until you end up with now, like in this film, two separate classes. Mm -hmm. Those who are genetically altered to be basically as perfect as they can be based off of existing DNA within the parent cells versus now just naturally born and left to chance. You know, letting letting the dice roll you into who you'll genetically become. Yeah. To which that was one of the big questions that I had for this movie, too, was were the parents edited? No, probably not. Then that also implies that society has only rapidly changed to have that second class citizen. Because within that means within within. vincent's lifetime it went from eh, we're fine with it to no we're not fine with it so you have to do it and now you're a second class citizen it's like Mm -hmm. wait wait that that doesn't make sense because vincent's parents are still around yeah so therefore they would also then be second class citizens it also depends though because i mean clearly it's like i think again this is where it's tricky it's hard to know if they were but odds are it doesn't even seem like they might have been Maybe they were for all we know, but that's yeah. not really the important thing. It's their it's not their story. Yeah. They're just yeah. the two people who end up being a part of it because they have to be. They have to have parents. Yeah. I'm looking for internal logic for something that is just a narrative story to yeah. ta- explain a concept to. It's, yeah. You can't do that because if you think if you dig too deep into something, then the story kind of gets wrecked. We're not going to look, we're not going to get into the whole problem of with the Internet Society talking about all this stuff, because mm-hmm. here we are. A, here we are, a bunch of people talking about a movie on the Internet and trying to we're going to start picking nits very shortly. But so but now Anton is born, you know, Vincent's genetically superior little brother. And you can see it just in the visual of the growth chart mm-hmm. of you see. Anton just slowly catching up to Vincent. And then by age eight, by age eight, he's already surpassed Vincent at age 10 in height. A random metal, <laughs> a random metal stud inside of a domestic house. With a washable marker, nonetheless. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, he was able to rub out his. Yeah, height. he was able to rub his height off like very easily. So maybe what we're really looking at is Vincent also has genetically some sort of a line that he can just rub off like markers super easily. But the whole thing is with Vincent and his brother, they're brothers. They're as close as brothers can sometimes be, especially when you realize that one of you is superior in almost every way, shape and form. One's the favorite and everybody knows that he's the favorite. Yep. Yep. But that doesn't mean that they don't try to still compete with each other. Mm-hmm. which leads to a contest living so close to the water. They have what they call chicken swims where they basically swim out as far as they're willing to go. And the first one to turn back is the loser. And Vincent loses every time he just knows that he doesn't have the same capabilities that his brother has. And so he turns his sights, not from terra firma, but to the stars with Vincent reaching his ultimate goal of trying to get to space, to see what is out there, 
Because maybe there's something out there that can, ex- that can you know, accept him for who he is. At least that's how I take it in my own mind. You know, it's, it's a tough, you know, life here is tough. Something out there might be better for him. But there's no way he's going to get there. Because in this rapidly changing world, no one's going to accept him being a natural born. You know, he joins this, what they would call a second class citizens group. Which leads to, essentially... You can't discriminate against genetics, but we'll use a urine test. Yep. A legal, a legal drug test can then become an illegal peek into your future at that company. And no one takes the law seriously. It's the same way, like, you even see it today. You know, equal opportunity employment is still a BS idea, especially because, and I'm bringing this up now because this is actually something that's still true today. Um, in a study, this was now probably about 10 years ago that the study came out. It was from the National Bureau of Economic Research. They ran an experiment about applicants and their names. Um, a little bit just from the abstract, I'm going to kind of pull this, but I, I will actually send you some links to, um, to this experiment they ran. But they basically ran an experiment where they sent out resumes that were basically equal, like basically the same resume, but with different names on it. Ones with stereotypically white-sounding names yep. and stereotypically black-sounding names. And in all of them, for the white names, they got high, the higher-quality resume elicited a 30% callback response that was higher than the African-American response. And with that, and it didn't matter whether the company claimed to be an equal-opportunity employer. It didn't claim that they were economically diverse. They just claimed that it didn't matter. It was across the board. It happened in uh, every company that they had dealt with. Um, I, is she a senator or congressman? I don't. I can't remember. But she's a, a black lady who uh, speaks more. I don't know. Uh, urban. Yeah. Best way to you know the a horrible way of saying it. Yeah. But, you know. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. Yeah, but it was like one of those things where people were talking about that, and like if you hear her talk, and you will see like comments under that, and they're like, "Oh, she's a disgrace to." Blah, blah, blah. And it was just like, just because of how she's talking, which, yeah. yes, 100%, it's it's something that's like, it's a societal thing. It's like when you you talk to talk with people, you're going to, you know, it's going to be easier for you no matter what. That's why there is also the term code shifting. Yeah. Yeah. So I've also included, I'm also going to say this, if you can include the link to the Freakonomics podcast about that, that's also in there. I've included both of those links in the in the chat window so just letting you know mac for for future mac here's some links that i'd like you to put into the description if you can but with it vincent's getting tired because even his parents are telling him they'll never let you go to space your heart you have a heart condition a heart condition that's never seemed to have shown up yet other than the fact that he has one and it beats like a normal person's does yeah you know so far, they haven't even found anything that shows that he has a heart condition that would prevent him from going. Yeah. But everyone basically says, you're never going to see space. And he knows how true that is, unless he can do something about it. So after a few more years, and this is the important part, after never beating his brother, Vincent and Anton have one more swim out into the waters. And for the first time in his life, Vincent wins. He just swims out. Anton starts to drown, and Vincent saves him. 
and that's the day. And I still believe that that's the day he chose to leave the house because he yeah. rips a, he rips a photo. He rips himself out of a family photo and walks away, which I also find weird because he rips himself and he keeps the him. It was like, is it just because he's then going to throw that piece away or because I would think that you would take then the family with you? No, but that's the thing. He doesn't feel like he's part of the family. Yeah. Him ripping himself out of the family photo is him symbolically saying, I know where I stand here. Yeah. So I'm going to walk away and I'll take whether he throws himself away on that one or not doesn't matter. What he's doing is he's symbolically removing himself as wholly and completely as he can from the situation. And that's where it's for him. He's going to strike off on his own because after that, even before that, we don't even see the parents anymore. They are no longer anywhere in the picture at all for Vincent. And we only see the brother once as he walks away for the last time from the house. And that's it. Not saying a word to each other. Yeah. They yeah. just look at each other and, wa and he walks away. So at that point, Vincent's going off on his own to figure out what he can do. And so then he just basically... Then he starts chewing gum like an asshole. Yeah. Then he goes, but now he finds himself going from odd job to odd job across the state, just trying to make ends meet for a while until he comes, until he's able to come up with the big plan, which is in a future like this, there is no gene for fate. Sometimes those of the genetically superior fall on hard times for one reason or another, and then their DNA can become a hot commodity. So then you have to find some unscrupulous business person, in this case, Tony Shaloub. No, a very heartfelt person who cares for the underprivileged. Monsignor, yeah, at 25%. Yeah. When the original negotiation was 20. Tony Shaloub, a Wisconsinite. Yeah. Yep. Mr. Monk. Mr. Monk fell on some, got in some real shady business after the pandemic. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> But you think he would have thrived. Yeah. So he ends up meeting this. I, I call him a gene dealer. Yeah. So what happens is these, these invalids who want to become, who want to hide out, become, what, become what's colloquially known as a borrowed ladder. Basically, they borrow the DNA of someone so that they can climb up the ladder of success. My favorite part of that whole meeting is Tony Shaloub being one of those unscrupulous people, a deal maker, pulls yeah. out his little um, Rolodex of people when it when it just turns out to be a book that opens up and it's got four different vials with no information on yep, them. And just blood just vials. Like, he's just looking at this blood vial, clear glass, nothing to identify it. Uh, not this person. Uh, oh, I think I got the person for you. Yep. Yep. And that person is Jerome Morrow. To quote the line directly from Tony Shalhoub's character, his credentials are impeccable. An expiration date you wouldn't believe. The guy's practically going to live forever. He's got an IQ off the register. Better than 2020 in both eyes. And the heart of an ox. He could run through a wall. If he could still run. When we meet Jerome, Jerome is in a wheelchair. We don't know what happened. All we know is that he was in some sort of an accident and it paralyzed him. So now 
Jerome's become used to a very specific kind of lifestyle. The dealer finds someone who needs a new identity, one that's a more valid and acceptable one for the new society. And basically, the idea is the dealer gets his cut, Jerome gets to keep his lifestyle, and you as the invalid now gets to live a relatively new life. And the cool thing is going through everything that they have to do to make sure that he can match Jerome. Because while they don't look very much alike, what they do have is a composite photograph of the two of them basically merged together. Yeah. But what I what I love about that is everything's good. You just yeah. need to wear contacts. Oh, everything's yeah. good. You just need to do that. Just need to get the your only threatened. thing. The only thing is he's six foot one. I'm five eleven. <laughs> And so they have to, which is ironic because Ethan Hawke's a half an inch taller than Jude Law in real life. <laughs> but the whole thing is to get the height, they have to cut him off at just below the knees and extend two inches on his calves. Oof. A real procedure. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and you know how you generally recover from those? The best way to recover is lay on a hardwood floor. <laughs> Just have the guy lying flat on his back on the floor while the guy in the wheelchair berates him. And then you eventually need to learn how to write with your right hand instead of your left hand. And the best way to get yourself once again recovering from the leg surgery and also learning how to write with your right hand laying on a laying on a metal table. Yep. While you're sitting there trying to write with your right hand. Yep. But Jerome really never cautioned his commitment to doing this after that. Because why would you go through that if you weren't committed to this? But we then, at least while, while he's recovering, Vincent does learn a little bit more about Jerome and who he actually is. Because it really comes down to, Jerome says, Fine, you can look like me, you can carry around my DNA, but how are you going to be me? How are you going to get away with acting and being the person that I am? And he shows, and we learn a little bit more about implied how Jerome got in the accident. Jerome, go, Jerome wheels around in front of Vincent and holds out a silver medal for swimming. And Jerome, and Jerome says, Jerome Morrow. I thought it was bronze. It was nope, silver. It's silver. Because it's, he says. Jerome Morrow was never meant to be one step down on the podium. Everything that Jerome has going for him, everything that he was genetically, and yet he still wasn't good enough to be a winner. Everything that makes Jerome Morrow so good. And so it's heavily implied that he got blackout drunk and walked into the street to get hit by and got hit by a car. That's the heavy implication of what that says. But the whole point being, Jerome was also burdened by a different form of discrimination. The burden of perfection. He has everything going for him, so why should he fail? Why should he not be a winner? If everything is going for him, if he is this genetically superior creature, Vincent has nothing, and yet he's working harder than ever to try and earn his place and is deserving of it because he works so hard. And I know you've brought this up in other podcasts. I don't know if it's ever actually made it in, but now's the time. Yeah. Who's the person that we should be? Who's the person who really is better? The person who's just naturally gifted enough to do these things 
or the person who has worked so hard and can also and then succeeds also. Yeah, exactly. It's once again, it's the um, Michael Jordan was awesome because he was also naturally gifted, everything else. But uh, but Michael Jordan also worked his butt off. Mm -hmm. If you if you just, you know, rest on your laurels and be like, oh, yeah, I'm awesome. So therefore, I don't have to try. You are limiting yourself. I don't like it when people use having ADD uh, or any other kind of condition as an excuse for why they can't do something. I'm like, it's fine if you can't do it. That's I'm not saying that yeah. you should. You like there are certain things people just aren't going to be able to do. You're not wired away to do it. You're not X Y Z. But I don't like the idea that you're like, oh, this is why. This is the one reason why I can't. Yeah. Do it. It's like no. It, how I say it, it's uh. A lot of these um, learning disabilities, they're they're a hurdle, not a wall. Mm -hmm. Now, if the hurdle is too hot, high, yeah, yeah, you're going to have to either learn how to jump over it or go around it or just decide, OK, this is just not my path. Yeah. And sometimes that's the case. I mean, that's the thing. There's no shame in also having to not be able to do something, especially if you've given as much as you can to it. Yeah. But that's not, again, that's not where Jerome can see himself, ever. No. Jerome never gets to see that life because for him, it was all supposed to come so easily for him. He was supposed to be the superior one. And so for him, if it's supposed to come so easily and it didn't come, what's his worth? Where's his value? And that's where I think we start to see in a very interesting scene that comes next. The day before he's supposed to go and apply for Gattaca, which, by the way, stupidest name I've ever heard in my life, <laughs> especially for a program, because it has no meaning other than the fact, and this is where it comes from, yeah. the, the name actually just is all, uses all the letters that exist in our base DNA, G, A, T, and C. Yeah. And that's the only reason that they call it that. Yeah. I, I do love that, but yeah, it's just like, it doesn't scream space program. Nope. Not at all. But, but this is the thing. If you know some of this stuff, Andrew Nichol is very good in this movie about putting subtle cues about who these characters are going to be, especially in names. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, that's really where it comes down to is, especially in, like, name care, like, Vincent's name is, you know, from the Latin term vincere, which means to conquer or win. Oh. You know, so... I do love it when they actually have like 100% like real reasons for certain yeah. things. But yeah, no, it's still always interesting because it's just like, well, but it's just a name. Did you really look that deep into it? And it's like, yes, I did. Yeah. And especially in this case, because if you think about this, while they're out watching the watching a night launch at Gattaca, you see what you see where Eugene, where Ned, sorry, got the wrong name in there, Jerome. Well, says, it's the right name, but yeah, Eugene says, yeah, yeah, Jerome says, why do you want to go in there? To which Vincent says, I don't want to be in there. I want to be up there pointing into space. He says, and this is my, this is my one chance to get in there and I'm going to work my ass off to make my goals happen. And you kind of see the shift in Jerome after that, mm -hmm. you know, it's a slow shift that starts to occur and. He says, call me Eugene. It's my middle name. And you're going to have to get used to starting to be called Jerome. And, you know, obviously with a name like Eugene, 
it's obviously supposed to be very symbolic of eugenics in this case. Yeah. You know, because again, he is supposed to be this genetically superior being. And in that failings. So yeah, there was a lot of uh there's a lot of symbolism in the character names in this movie. Which again is why we don't learn certain characters' names at all as the sh- as the movie progresses. On the last day, as you know, Vincent is Vincent and Jerome is Jerome, he has to go to Gattaca for his interview. Yeah. Which the interview is literally one thing. Pee in a cup. Yep, pee in a cup. And Hey, you are who you say you are, and your coat looks great. Welcome to Gattaca. And, he's, and he says to the doctor, what about the interview? And I've always loved the facial expressions of the doctor, like throughout mm. the movie, where he's just like, that was the interview. And then he gets this like weird look on his face. like, And it's so good. I love that face. I love that man's face. Put him in more stuff. Yeah. That actor is one of my favorite actors. I... Yeah. I first uh, saw him in the booth at the end. Okay. Where he plays a character who sits in a diner and he's got a nondescript book and people just come up and sit across from him and say, I want this. He opens up his book, writes down what they're asking for. Okay. Uh, Then... In the next uh, month or so, you've got to do a bombing at a hospital or something along those lines. But where he plays a mess, Mephistopheles, he isn't a demon or anything. He's a human, but he makes the Faustian deals. Neat. What movie is this? It's a TV. It's a mini booth at the end. Oh, okay. It's a two season series back when... uh, there are a lot more investments in doing online TV shows around the time the Guild came out, and oh, okay, hmm. 2011. And then, uh, and then I watched Candyman. After watching that, I'm like, oh, it's him! Yeah, nice. I like that actor. Cool. So we, uh, so now we skip to an undiscriminate, uh, an undisclosed amount of time. Seems to be about a couple, two, three years, maybe. Yeah. Of him working at Gattaca before he's accepted into, before he's accepted for the launch for the Titan program. It take as long as it takes to write a million lines of code. Yeah, basically. Because <laughs> that's what the director yeah. says. But in the, uh, but in that in that event, um, no one was ever really suspicious of him except for the now-murdered director. Because now, with a murder like this, there's going to be investigations, which includes sucking up a lot of DNA material. You know, skin flakes, hair samples, eyelash samples. Because Vincent, now Vincent, now Jerome, hides himself and leaves an eye, accidentally rubs his face and leaves an eyelash behind near the crime scene. Because he wasn't thinking yeah don't leave don't leave your invalid self out there in the world they're gonna start catching on well how do you notice a single eyelash i know i I, look look i know yeah yeah that's kind of the whole point you're you would never know that but so during this investigation the now director the one who's actually leading the who wants this program to fly off to titan to happen wants irene to help the detectives in their investigation so 
she starts to notice she does notice a few things about Jerome and just wants to find things out. So she collects a hair sample of his. I just assumed she was just being a creep. Well, she is a creep, but that's besides the point. She's a creep because she wants to be a part of because she's been told to be a part of the investigation. Because for her, she's also concerned that she's going to lose her place in line for potential space flights. No, uh, because she never was going to be, she was never in line for it. I think she does want to believe that she'll still somehow get a chance, even though she knows how impossible it is. Which I think is why the director's annoyed at her when she says, well, I'm worried about losing my place in line. To which he, in a huff, says, your place in line is secured. Meaning, it's secured right at the end. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, did, I, I've, I forgot that uh, she said that too. Now that I... So it is very much that thing of she still wants to believe that she has a chance of actually going to space. As, yeah. un, as, un, as unchanceable as that is, she wants to believe. It's just so unlikely. But... She steals one of Jer she steals one of the Jerome samples off of the uh, that was planted on the comb from Vincent's desk. Takes it to somewhere. <laughs> uh, I what what did I have it in my notes? It was um. I, I like to think genetic it's some... kissing booth. Yeah, that's pretty much it because it seems like because because uh, we see the first lady who's clearly getting her lips swabbed because she just kissed someone and wants to find out about that person. You know, it's like that industry would pop up. Like, I want to yeah. make sure that the person that I'm into is not invalid or an invalid. Yeah. But yeah. no, 100% that's what it was. And then other people who like maybe they're not as big in the money as Gattaca. So then you have these bosses who are like, OK, I got an interviewer. This is his sample. These are the samples I need to check out for these different people. She gets the sample. The geneticist says, you've got yourself a keeper here with this guy. And basically, Irene then, and basically, you know, Vincent's super excited because he's like, well, there's nothing standing in my way except for seven days where I have to wait for the launch window to be there. So Jerome and, uh, so Jerome and Vincent go out to celebrate. Yay. And Jerome gets very, very drunk. And as they're leaving the club, and as Vincent is helping put Jerome to bed, Jerome admits something. He was stone cold sober when he stepped in front of the car. Being so distraught by his own second place, by his second place victory, that he just decides that I'm going to commit suicide by also making someone feel terrible as, I hit, as they hit me with their vehicle. Probably the worst way of doing this sort of thing. Yup. In this whole situation... We now kind of learn why this burden of perfection and why all of this is a problem. And we'll see it later more in Irene's as this movie progresses. Because now we're skipping to another day. While they're still waiting for the launch, they have to make sure that Vincent, is me that Vincent as Jerome is meeting all of his standards so that he's ready for this mission. Including like monitoring his heart rate as he's going through stress tests. And as our favorite doctor says... Jerome, Jerome, the metronome. You could play the piano by that heartbeat. And all he has to do is just make sure they last 20 minutes with a pre-recorded heartbeat off of a basically tampered with monitor. And we also see that Irene 
we, we don't know how long she was on, but it was clearly they were not getting the results they wanted from her to be able to go on the mission, kick her off a treadmill. So she's failed her stress test. And Jerome nearly fear, fails his because while he's doing his running, he's hearing the detectives talk about what their findings are with the director of the Titan mission. Now, question on the was was it a glitch or did it finally shut off because it, the 20 minutes had run because he only had 20 minutes of the heartbeat recording the 20 minutes had passed and then the recording had cut off and now it was actually catching his actual heartbeat which was incredibly high because even the doctor looked very concerned by what they were seeing yeah but you know he he makes quick work of that and then you know as he's recollecting himself he runs into Irene outside who's watching another launch where they have a discussion about, I kind of looked into you. Real sorry about that. Yeah, I was a creep. Yeah, sorry I was being creepy about it. But, you know, to prove that I trust you, here's my hair, here's my hair sample. You can get it tested if you want. Which, uh, this is a great line. Go for it. I, I was going to say it too. Sorry, the wind caught it. Yep. I love that line. It's so nice because, again, it's that thing of he wouldn't care. That would be a very Vincent thing to not care. It's like, I don't need to know who you are. I just need to know who you are as a person. And it's clear. Yeah, it's like, I understand why you don't trust me. I'm untrustworthy. I am, I am unscrupulous. I am not supposed to be here because in our society, I am false. But they start to bud a relationship while the detectives are still trying to figure this thing out because now the samples have run through and they found something that's not supposed to be there. Vincent's DNA. Now I am going to say this. Here is the big spoiler. At what point did you know that the lead detective was Anton? Uh, since I originally saw it years ago, I yeah. don't know. I'll tell you exactly when I figured it out. Because I remember this very clearly. He looked very familiar. Like, I'm like, he looks a lot like Anton, but that could be anything. Yeah. But it's later when he's swimming in the infinity pool. And I'm like, oh, he has never let that go. Yeah. He never let go losing to his brother. And now that he's seen him, I'm like, because he has a slight reaction when he sees Vincent's picture as the invalid. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I thought he was dead. Yeah. It's like, I never thought I'd see. Well, he should be dead based off of the blood test that yep. he had as a baby. Yeah. He's yeah. like, yeah, no, he's like, how is he here? And not just here. He's that far into the building. Yeah. And then it goes in. Because again, as far as everyone's concerned, Vincent no longer exists. He hasn't been on any records in the last two or three years. As far as anyone knows, he just stopped existing. But who's going to go look for some invalid who hasn't shown up for anything? And Alan Arkin ends up going down this yep. line where he ends up, where they end up doing, they're walking down the slums of this town, and there's a big parking lot where they got people lined up against the wall, and they're forcing them to give uh, genetic samples. And you see certain people being taken away and beaten, because they too are invalids that haven't been doing things in society and whatnot. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's pretty nuts. And the the funny thing is, I don't know if it's to protect whether he feels like he's trying to protect Vincent by doing this, but he's like he keeps trying to point like, don't just focus on the invalid. Why yeah. he has no reason and logically speaking, Anton's right. Why would this guy kill? Like he has no reason to kill this person. He hasn't existed in the system for two or three years. What would be his reasoning? Why would this guy come back just to kill someone that he doesn't I love even how, know? I love how Alan Arkin is the gritty de- detective, mm-hmm. and he's good at doing some detective work, but he does it wrong. Then you got Anton, who's also a good detective, but he's also doing it wrong. Yep. But I just, in my mind, it was more of Anton was better being like, okay, it really probably is not my supposed brother. Yeah. Or anything. But for me, where um, Anton, um, where I first was like, is that Ant- is that Vincent's brother? Was yeah. when they were down the alleyway mm-hmm. and yeah. he shouts Vincent. Yeah, and that's he actually looks at me and says, is that his brother? I said, and I didn't say anything. I'm like, what do you think? But it's like, at that point, I was like, that would just confirm what I already was like very certain of with the Infinity Pool scene. But the whole thing is, though, now that they're actually, because again, the investigation is only there as a like subplot to keep things moving forward, to keep, you know, Vincent on his toes. What's really kind of interesting is that we watch this whole thing of, you know, because Vincent's fear is I'm going to get caught. Yeah. You know, because they're going to keep investigating. I'm going to get caught before I lose my before I have my chance to get off this rock. And I was like, I'm not letting that happen. So to maintain his own, like, I'm totally Jerome. He said him and Irene start going out on dates. Specifically, their first big date is to go see a piano player who's playing a beautiful piece. And we learn that the piano player has 12 fingers. Yep. And Vincent and Vincent says, after Irene comments how beautiful the playing was, Vincent says, 12 fingers are one. It's all about how you play it. To which Irene says, that piece can only be played by someone with 12 fingers, which is actually true. And I do have a note on this. Um, the composer, they took um, Franz Schubert's impromptu in G-flat major, mm-hmm. and he modified it to include notes that could only be played by someone who had 12 fingers. So the piece is genuine. You couldn't play it unless you had 12 fingers. Yeah. Which I'm like, that's nice. That's a good detail to include. You know, you know, and granted, it's hard work to make something sound good that's already pro- beautiful enough as it is. But then what? you're like... I have yeah. to maintain it sounding good while also being wholly new. Yeah, like I said earlier, it's the um you can overpaint something. Yeah. You can over make a song too. Yeah. When is one sequin too much sequins on a dress? Yeah. Yes. Never. That's the answer. Look, for some people it's true. All that glare. Just make it all sparkle. But I mean, and then we we have and I'm going to skip a little bit of this just because, again, it's not that it's not important, but it's just not really vital to keeping the story like going. It's very interesting. But like some of the things that Jerome like that, you know, Vincent has to do to avoid being detected by the cops, you know, 
My favorite being the blood vial switcheroo. Yeah. Or the very scary scene where Vincent has to lose his contacts because the cops are using a our cops are using a special light so that they can see if anyone's like eyes don't match what they're supposed to be because the lighting will probably reflect the contacts differently than they would other like regular like natural eyes and it's very creative like what he has to do to elude the cops detection is vincent because he cannot he does not want to keep getting suspicion on himself until the later because he's already worried about getting caught to the point where he's like they re they'll recognize me like my face is plastered all over and he's like they won't recognize you at all he starts throwing away all of the biological stuff that uh eugene has been collecting yep yep all those all those samples and he's and like, down the incineration toilet yep and it's like they won't recognize you because i don't even recognize you you are not at all the same person you were then they don't see vincent anymore all they see is jerome that's all anyone sees anymore Yep, it's uh, a what I said. It was people believe what they want to believe. Yep. Superman doesn't wear glasses, so clearly he can't be Clark. True. And that it, they they've they've established that on multiple occasions, or like talked about that on different things. And they're like, how can how can people not know Superman, Clark Kent aren't the same person? Blah blah blah. It's like, oh, he does wear glasses. It's like, are you gonna expect how one one of the def, uh, one's explanations was like, would you expect? a god to walk next to you nope which also i did want to bring that up with uh gattaca it was just like why is everything so yellow i i, I was I, I i went green i felt like everything was green like when they're outside it's oh yellow yeah like oh, yellowish yeah. yeah yeah no i see i would guess it's all that's i guess it would be all of that like um rocket pollution yeah i was gonna say uh, i was trying to think exhaust no wonder, the they have exhaust. A, no wonder they have a private company that's throwing people out into space yeah it's got like and they have they said what how many launches are there in a day a dozen you're telling me that they not only can afford to launch people into space they can do it a dozen times a day i want to know how vincent has not missed a single fucking lunch if there's 12 throughout the day yeah. and he's supposed to do all this stuff. Yeah. Cause Irene comes up to him while they're in front of the escalator, looking up through the ceiling to watch a, uh, you know, to watch a rocket go off into space. And she's like, Oh, that Jerome never misses a, yep. never misses a launch. Yeah. And then it's and then they're like, oh, there's 12 launches a day. I'm like, maybe it's oh, like yeah. 12 a week instead or. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's just it's so crazy, though, because they they talk about it. And like, this is nuts. Like this program, like where do they even have that kind of private? Like this is a private company. Where are they? Who is funding all of this? Like it, it, just because it's private fund, uh, private uh, company doesn't mean it's only privately uh, i know I lockheed know they martin yeah but and i know nasa does provide for spacex i know the government does provide for spacex also and but it's that thing of it's like that that's to me the most like as much as like going to space in the three-piece suits the more unrealistic thing to me is the idea that they can have a dozen launches so quickly back to back 
it's also the same reason why they can have the whole going into space for with the three piece suit. It's so commonplace. Yeah, I know, and that's kind of the whole point in like two thousand, same way two thousand one. Space is so, like space travel is so commonplace at that point that you know it's just like going on a standard flight today. Yeah, you know, but don't take a Boeing space shuttle. You never know when that door is gonna blast off, or when near submarine that implodes. Yeah, you know, it's like I, you know, Irene, Vincent, they're still going out, and they're nearly caught by the cops because they found another piece of Vincent evidence, which was a drinking cup that he had given to the janitor that had his spit on it. Now, yep. here's the question: yeah. Does the janitor recognize Vincent no. as being Vincent? Oop, oop, hold on to that thought, there, Mac. In the movie, he doesn't. However, there was a thankfully deleted scene that implies he did. The only reason why I would say he didn't, well, then also that means that he knows that he, what he's doing and that means he's kind of plotting against him because why did he still have that cup in a garbage bag? He wasn't expecting to be well, th- having that taken away. He's a janitor. Yeah. It's his job. So yeah, it's just trash. No, that's what I'm saying. It was just trash to him and he was given trash by somebody. So that's what I'm saying. If he was planning on it, it would be like it's entirely different. Yeah, I'm not saying like, that yeah. I'm not saying that Ernest Borgnine's character was doing it to hide the evidence. I was oh, yeah, just no. like it, to me, that scene read like Ernest Borgnine recognized it, but used his preferred name and took it and went on with his job, which is cleaning up the place. And he didn't realize that walking into the office while carrying the garbage bag meant that they would just grab it and take it away from him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's as it was evidence. Just, that's what I was saying. It's like it can take multiple different meanings and it can take multiple different kinds. Yeah. And I mean, that's the thing about this movie is there's a lot of open interpretation you can make to things. But regardless, the fact is he gave the janitor the cup not expecting it to be taken by the police. And so they basically, they raid the nightclub that Irene and... Which is so ridiculous. Why yes. are you guys going through all this garbage being like, test this, oh, this genetic, that's fine. Yeah, It's like Alan Arkin, it, it sort of comes off as like the racist... That police is. officer yeah, very much where so, it's yeah. just like you're going through all this impractical stuff chasing down this invalid who popped up but not looking at the actual evidence in the room of dust fingerprints what are the fingerprints on the keyboard yeah you know go put your money in where the evidence really is rather than spending yeah. taxpayer money on doing all these that's the other thing is like this society must have a really big like our modern day trying to get a blood test or you know a rape kit done properly is like backlogs because there's not many you know it takes them a while yep it is not fast yeah which uh, is which, almost like it's a sad thing that Theranos never actually. It would have been a real nice. thing. 
I really wish they could have succeeded because if yeah. it was just that small of evidence and oh. you can get all this information from it, that would have revolutionized. Oh, yeah. So Everything. many different aspects, especially if you're talking about court cases where some where people are being sent to death. Yeah. And then turns out, oh, they really didn't do it. Oh, yeah. And that's the thing. It's th that's why I wish. And like, that's the, the kind of the interesting thing about like a movie like this. Like, this is really looking at the negative aspects of some of this stuff, like truly oh, yeah. how negative this can be. Like, but like any tool, this stuff can be used for good. We have CRISPR technology that got us vaccines, like got mRNA vaccines created so much faster than they ever have in our lifetimes. Like, like, it's just incredible what we've gotten. And yeah. It's it's the thing of I can appreciate the fact like these are all tools that when used correctly can do amazing and wonderful things like the Internet can. Yeah. You know, if used right, we have we have one of the most powerful tools that could ever exist. And there's too many. And sometimes we have to worry about the bad actors who just want to use it for chaos. Bad it's, the, it's the shopping cart. Yep. Oh, I know. Oh, I love that. I. And I always put the shopping cart back in the return. Yep. I even put other people's shopping carts when they don't. Yep. So during this scene, Vincent and Irene have a discussion about Irene's heart condition. Mm -hmm. So the thing that's preventing Irene from going into space is she has a heart condition. She can't keep her heart regulated. And therefore, she's not good enough for space. And yeah. sucks to be her, I guess. Because... Unfortunately, she doesn't have a sweet genetics dealer who can just deal her a better hand at that. Yeah. Although now I think before she before he leaves, Vincent should have given her the uh, should have given her the one that can record a better heartbeat. And then uh, so yeah. they run down the alleyway after Ethan Hawke beats up a police officer. Yeah, it's not good. It's not a good no. situation, period. No. But the but Anton gets out there. And he screams out Vincent's name as Vincent, not Jerome. And this is now where Uma Thurman's and Irene's basically like, who's Vincent? After she has a heart situation. Yeah, she, yeah, she has a small, uh, she has a, she has a murmur. She has an event. She has a cardiac event and she genuinely. And so they basically, they spend the night together you aren't the man I thought you're not the man I thought you were. So let's have sex on the roof. Exactly. The ceiling. It does. I do love that. weird. It's that weird camera angle for, for the first time I watched the movie. I genuinely thought they, there was a bed on the beach. Yeah. Uh, they actually talk about that in like the special features, uh, because they're yeah. like, we want them. We know because you see the house later. It's like, it's on the beach, but they really wanted it on the beach. Yeah. Like, it honestly looked like that to the first time I saw the movie. But and then he wakes up and tries to do his morning routine. Yeah. But he, she has nothing to scrape off the skin cells and all this stuff. So he's butt ass naked on the beach, scraping, rubbing sand onto the skin. Yep. And just I don't yeah. know why he was not doing it in the water. I don't know either. I just he, it's just it's weird. And it was interesting. And I know why he did it. Mm. But. And so basically he goes back to the house. He goes back to his house. Irene gets into work early, 
sees the detectives are there and warns Vincent not to come into work. And this to me leads to probably the But he's lowest... already he was in work. He would no, he wasn't he didn't enter. He was in the yet. building he was in and the building. she walked by him and said, Oh, you look sick. You should go home. Yeah. So And so yeah. he couldn't get out of the building. Uma Thurman was taken by uh Vincent's brother. Yep. And, and they're they going had to, the house. to and they had to call to let Jude Law know you need to get out of the basement and up to the first floor. Oh, no. All he said was, you have to be yourself for the day. Yeah. And he says, the investigators are coming. You have to be yourself for the day. He never said that he had to get up to the first floor. He makes himself. This is what makes this climax so interesting is he makes himself. He could have just claimed he was sick and, tr and done anything else. Could have crawled his ass back to his bedroom. It wouldn't have mattered at that point. But he crawls up the stairs to get to the first floor to let them know he's there. And then sits his ass into a chair. And they all act like this is perfectly normal. Because Irene now knows, oh shit, I don't know. I really didn't know who this guy was. And now I genuinely am concerned about who this guy was. Like, who was the Jerome I've known all this time? Like, did he actually kill the director so that he could make, so that his, so that his launch to Titan wouldn't be lost? Why? Like, she really does now think, like, she always had her suspicions that he did it. She, yeah. had, she, had, she had always had her suspicions, but now she's like, oh no, he absolutely did it. He had to have. There's no other thing. He didn't, though. Yeah. And we'll find that out later. I did find it interesting because it was like, well, the reason why he had to climb up there was because of all the evidence of their genetic misdoings down where they were. To which then when they're like, oh, I'm going to go downstairs. Ah, shit. Well, it's over. I mean, at that point, you're like, you can't stop it. No. What can you do? And if it wasn't for the fact that Alan Arkin gets back to him and says, we found the killer, he immediately had to he immediately had to go like Anton had to leave the building and Irene so disgusted by the whole situation tries to leave and Vincent stops her which leads to I I which I believe leads to the whole onus of the film which leads to the scene where you learn there is a hidden person in this whole entire story that is key to everything in this movie now I'm starting to think you didn't watch the movie. Uh, it's right there, right in the background, walking out of the porch. Oh, yeah. house. While the oh, two are guy. having this really in-depth, loud talking about genetic misdeeds. And there's a guy walking in the background into the house. Yes, there is, actually. That's true. There is a guy in the I background. I to he stop the movie. I'm just like, what? Dean couldn't not notice him. <laughs> yeah, I don't I didn't notice him. Yeah, but that would be very Dean, too, because he does notice some of those things in the background. But the whole scene culminates with I and I'm going to kind of give the whole the whole line here because Irene's trying to leave and she says, I don't even know who you are anymore. I'm the same person I was yesterday. I can't hear any more of your lies, Jerome. My name is Vincent. All right. Vincent Anton Freeman. 
and I'm a faith birth or a degenerate or whatever you want to call it, but I am not a murderer. You're a godchild, Vincent, but we do have one thing in common. Only I don't have 20 or 30 years left in mine, indicating his heart. Mine's already 10,000 beats overdue. It's not possible. You are the authority on what's not possible, aren't you, Irene? They've got you looking for any flaw, that after a while, that's all you see. For what it's worth, I'm here to tell you that it is possible. It is possible. And that's the entire point. Vincent, with all of his genetic deficiencies, did something that no one thought he could do. It is honestly still one of my favorite things about this movie, is just, it is this idea of Vincent did everything that everyone said he couldn't do because your genes are bad and you should feel bad. And no, he just, he spits in the face of everything that makes this new eugenics positive universe, this new eugenics positive world say, here's the things you can't do. Now here's the things you can do. But, you know, he in some ways convinces Irene that it is truly possible. But we're not done yet because there's still two things that have to be done. We now confront who the actual killer was because at the basically telling of, basically at Anton's request, Alan Arkin looked back at the body and discovered in his eye that there was saliva that they hadn't accounted for. And the saliva was the, was the older, was the other mission director who was leading the Titan program. He knew that he'd never lived to see, if this launch was scrubbed, he'd never lived to see another launch for the Titan mission because it would be another 70 years before they could even attempt this launch. So in, instead of basically saying, you know what? Instead of trying to convince him, he's like, nope, just going to straight up murder you. Which, as you said in the previous, in one of the previous ones, the funny thing is, he said, look at my genetic profile. There's not a violent bone in my body. There may not be violence, but there's definitely vengeance in his, in his body. Yeah. Yep, pretty much. Uh, it's And no... he kept quiet long enough so that the launch yep. would still go through. Yep, yeah. he could never stop. But he also know. but Vincent knows that Anton knows the jig is up. He could spill at any point, and he has to confront his brother. Yeah. And it leads to what I think is the worst family reunion in a while, just because he's like, you can't do this. It's over. It's like, why is it over? Literally tomorrow, I'm a million miles away. No one has to know anything. It's like, because, and this is the thing, he never let go of the fact that he lost to his brother in anything. He could never let go of that idea that somehow because of all of his superior genes, again, like Jerome, it should all just be handed to him. He has the genes that make it po that make it that he should be able to do anything he wants to. And yet here's Vincent doing the things that everyone said you can't do. And so basically to prove himself again, they have one more chicken swim, this time in a much more dangerous location and at night. And as they swim out, Anton's eventually like, we have to stop. We can't even see the shore anymore. To which Vincent says, no, we keep going because we're much closer to the other side now. And Anton's like, the other side of what? Where are we going to go from here? And eventually Anton just goes and says, Vincent, how did you do it? And he says, you want to know how I beat you that day? I beat you. 
I'm beating you the same way that I'm beating you now. I never saved anything for the swim back. He never intended to make it out of there alive. The entire point was that I will die beating you if that's what it takes. And he did. And I think both times he was not only willing to die, but it was because he doesn't want to see Anton die that he makes it back both times. He finds the, he finds the energy to make it back to shore because he doesn't want as much as they have this animosity. He still doesn't want to see his brother die. He has a reason to go back to the shore. And that's what makes this work so well is he doesn't expect to make it back from this Titan mission. I genuinely believe he doesn't expect to come home, at least initially. Yeah. Because he had no reason to come back alive. Because as he said, it's like, why is it now when you're trying to get away, there's all these things that are coming up that make you want to stay? But we also get a beautiful cyclical ending to Irene and Vincent's relationship. After the swim, Irene's out in front of their apartment, waiting for him to come home. Fell asleep in the car. Yep. The most awkward way. Yeah, absolutely. But he hands her a hair sample. Says, if you're still interested, let me know. Yep. And she just lets it go. Sorry, the wind caught it. Because it was unimportant. It didn't matter anymore. None of it mattered anymore. And so Vincent gets ready for his final trip out. Jerome, is, Jerome has gotten the lab cleaned up because there's no more need for any of the equipment. He's it's going over. on a vacation. Yep. But when Vincent comes back, he'll have enough samples that he can maintain the Jerome lifestyle. For two lifetimes, right? Yep. Yes. And Jerome hands him a note. says. Don't open it till you're upstairs. In this case, meaning in space. Yeah. But he says, but Vincent says to Jerome, I don't know how to thank you. And Jerome says, don't. I should be thanking you. I only lent you my body. You lent me your dream. And as he's leaving, one final hurdle gets put in Vincent's way. Another P test. A surprise P test. And this is where we learn something about the doctor, which I think is pretty awesome. Yeah. Because he had mentioned it at the start about, remind me to tell you about my son one day. Or I need to tell you about my son. Yep. And he never got the chance until now. But Vincent looks at it and says, this would have been so simple, Amar, the doctor, and says, could have gone up and back and no one would have been the wiser. And the doctor says, you know, my son's a fan of yours. He really wants to get in here, but... Just doesn't have the genes for it. He did. He's not e- exactly what we paid for. Yep. Vincent's invalid status comes up. Couple of quick button presses. All of a sudden, he's Jerome Morrow again. To which the doctor says, "Hurry up, or you'll miss your flight, Vincent," and just lets it at that. So, so Vincent makes his way into space, and while he's boarding the flight, we watch as Jerome crawls his way into. A blue-colored pot of his own. And Jerome puts on his silver medal, reaches out as best he can, and as the ship launches into space for Titan, Jerome turns on the incinerator. Major, major flaw in design. Yeah, I would argue that's true. But as the incinerator goes, we see the reflection of the silver medal now turning gold in the flame light. And as Vincent's staring out into the stars, we see 
as he opens the letter from Jerome. It's a lock of Jerome's hair. Basically, if you want to read the interpretation, that lock of hair is showing that Jerome has given himself up fully to Vincent. Fully and completely. That now Vincent has proven that he is everything that Jerome couldn't be. Because he had to, in so many ways, earn. He had to earn his keep. And we end with one final line from Vincent. For someone who has never meant for this world, I must confess I'm suddenly having a hard time leaving it. Of course, they say every atom of our bodies was once a part of a star. Maybe I'm not leaving. Maybe I'm going home. Now, there is one thing I do want to show. And there was an alternate ending. It's only two minutes, so let me just share this with you very quickly. So, what's playing? Oh, oh yeah, no, I knew about this one. So, I'm just going to read over it because I'm going to play the music over it. But, in a few short years, scientists will have completed the Human Genome Project, the mapping of all the genes that make up a human being. We have now evolved to the point where we can direct our own evolution. Had we acquired this knowledge sooner, the following people may never have been born. Abraham Lincoln. Marfan Syndrome. That's why he's so tall. Yeah. Emily Dickinson. Manic Depression. Vincent van Gogh. Epilepsy. Albert Einstein. Dyslexia. Woo! John F. Kennedy. Addison's Disease. Rita Hayworth. Alzheimer's Disease. Ray Charles. Primary Glaucoma. Stephen Hawking. I cannot say that one. <laughs> Jackie Joyner, curse, asthma. Of course, the other birth that may never have taken place is your own. So that was going to be the original ending to the film. Credits would roll and everyone would be super thoughtful about it. Yeah, but they thought that it was too much. They overdid it. Well, test audiences hated it because it made them think about their own genetic imperfections and it made them feel inferior. Which to me says then you've missed the entire point of the film. Yup. The entire point of this film is that those genetic imperfections are what make you into the person you are. They make you into, they, they help you by overcoming those adversities. You can accomplish so much more than if you're just handed the genetic superiority to do these things. I mean, yes, we do need in certain points, yes, we do need people who have certain physical conditions, like we said earlier. But that doesn't stop us from being able to do something great with ourselves. And that's the entire point. Jerome, you know, Jerome had it all handed to him and he did nothing with it that he and when he couldn't get it, when he couldn't match his own superiority, he fell into a depression that nearly killed him and in the end did kill him in some ways. Yeah. Where Vincent was handed nothing and earned everything. Sometimes it really isn't. You just never really know what genes you need to really succeed. And yeah. sometimes it's just the grit that comes with it. And until they find the gene for grit, you're just going to have to keep trying the natural way. Uh, I, I started watching the... Um, or not started watching. I, I uh, was reading what's it called? Uh, the Halo movie or Halo yeah. book. The first yeah. one, uh, The Fall of Reach. And it was interesting because they find the when they find uh, John 117, one of the things that the doctor does is hands him a coin. And she was like, uh, you will get this if you win. And she was like, and he's like, what? And so she flips it. And he's like, guess. And then he, he calls it correctly. 
and then the and the socialize and the guy who was with her she why did you do that because we can't genetically test for luck hmm yep that's true that is gattaca i i love this movie i think it's a fantastic film i give credit to andrew nickel for you know not taking the easy road with some of this yeah and genuinely making what i think is one of the better sci-fi films that feels so close to what reality could be. Uh, I found it really interesting because, uh, well, one of the things I, I was writing, so I have a bunch of notes uh, yeah. to finish up with it. But one of them was this, t- like the movie was filmed around the same time as, or like what before the talented Mr. Ripley. Yep. And I'm pretty sure that it was a very similar premise of somebody taking the place of somebody else. Yep. It's Matt Damon trying to take over Jude Law's life. Yeah. I was like, wow, he got typecast. Uh, yeah. Second was, it's a sad, it's this one's more sad. Um, budget was 36 million. Box office 12 point. Yeah. Nobody got this movie when it first came out. I, I think in some ways it's becoming something more of a cult sleeper hit though. Yeah. It's like the Truman show, but the Truman show did better again. Cause it had name recognition, you know, no offense to Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman. They, I mean, they're great. Yeah. But, but they weren't as well known. And Jude Law was not, this was his first like big movie. Yep. Oh, sounds like you're going to have to call it now, I think. Yeah. Uh, but okay. A couple more notes. Um, yeah. Showtime was going to have a follow-up series in 2003, but it got canceled. That Sad. makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and Danny DeVito was a producer. Yes, we saw that. Dean made a, Dean made a clear note about yeah, that I when we were watching. It. I'm like, wow. Yeah. Um, uh, my other note was, um, this is something that people just have to would have to look up because yeah, once at the time I'll probably put it in the description yeah. for this episode. Is it's a technology called microarrays. Yep. So a microarray is a multiplex lab on a chip. Basically, this is the only way you could have turnaround genetic stuff that yeah. fast yeah. is with a microarray. And yeah, that's all I got for that. Without having Fine. without actually going into it, I'm like I don't want to okay. go into it. Okay, I know. Sorry, but hey, if you want to send, if you want to record something yourself and send it to me, I can cut it in. Oh, uh, maybe if I remember. <laughs> think. Well, think about it. Don't worry about it. Yeah, we're gonna have to cut this one short. I know it sucks because sometimes well, I hate it's this. It's gonna be really long. We love talking about movies. This is gonna be our longest episode because I'm gonna get this. Maybe it's been three hours. We're gonna cut it down to two. Yeah, it's gonna be our longest one, and that's the problem. I love movies, so I will obviously talk about them forever. I'll see if I can get this down to ninety minutes. And our next movie, we will talk be talking about uh, the nineteen no not nineteen two two thousand and one movie Evolution. Yes, we will. That'll be a fun one, so we'll enjoy it. All right, we'll talk to Bye. you later. Bye. Bye. A Real Creature Feature is created by Matt Kuklinski, starring Matt Kuklinski, Michael Seaman, and Dean Snow. Any questions, comments, artwork, or general inquiries can be sent to realcreaturefeature at gmail.com. You can view any submitted fan art and pictures on our Instagram at a real creature feature. Some episodes were recorded weeks in advance due to our current sporadic recording schedule. Any comments left will be seen and addressed at some point, and you will be credited unless you tell us you wish to remain anonymous. If you like the podcast, please leave a review on the podcast app that works best for you. It really helps us out. Also, tell your friends, enemies, and total strangers about the podcast. They might enjoy it too, and that can bring us all closer together.
See, I wish he hadn't said that because I was sitting there for a while that was messing with my conception of the um, movie that we were watching. Yeah. Well, here's uh, the thing, though. I think anything like, well, OK, I'm going to ask you this now, Dean. What year would it have? What year, if I had said it, would it have been acceptable to have that any wouldn't of have... the brutalistic architecture and the 1950s clothes and everyone driving classic cars? Please that's, that's, tell that... me. You put that in my head, and I would have never thought of timeline. Yeah, I would have thought what they did alternate Earth. Oh, I always whatever the idea of a not too distant. the The entire point is that this is supposed to be our not too distant future, like our actual not too distant future. Yeah, but Um, time doesn't really affect me when I'm watching like this. This I would have if I hadn't had that 2025 in my head, I would have been like, oh, it makes sense that this place is supposed to be a space uh, NASA thing. And they're all wearing three piece suits and he, and their outfits for space travel is a three piece suit that you sit inside of a twilight zone, cylinder, a gray cylinder as lights pass by you as you go to Titan. So they purposely did that because of the fact of their uh, budget restraints. So because of that, um, they were like, okay, we uh, don't have the money to actually make these spacesuits. That's why they did it. But they also did it on purpose, having that classic design because they're like, we will take the best of what is old and bring it to now so that you will have this timeless um, idea because no, those clothes aren't in fashion. Those clothes haven't been fashion a long time. They actually might be coming back into fashion again uh, because in 2025. Uh, yes, um, <laughs> because so we were watching. Uh, it was an interview. I can't remember what show it was, but the the guy from uh, uh, Schmidt or Schmidt Creek, Shit Creek, Shit Creek, Shit's it Creek, is Shit Creek. Yeah. Okay, um, was wearing an ill-fitted suit. Yeah, but supposedly that is coming back again. Yeah, and uh, in in my notes again, that was one of the things I noticed in uh uh ethan hawk was wearing an ill-fitted suit yeah well and this is the thing to me what i how i interpret it and this is why the year 2025 when this movie was originally came out is this idea of it's far enough into the future that at least on a realistic timeline we could potentially have gotten there depending on how we chose to live our lives depending on how we chose to handle some of this crap but the other thing is this is now people who have now are starting to have what we call the new good age, you know? Mm -hmm. So now we want to harken back to those old good ages, you know? Yes. Where the idea of like, you know, roaring twenties, the fifties, you know, those times that we forget about all the bad shit that's actually happening behind the scenes. Yes. And only remember, Oh, remember how good those times were like for who? Tell me who had good times. We got conceived in an old car and my parents were wearing 1950s clothes. I'm in a I'm in a uh, semi at home doctor visit birth station and the nurses are printing out on a old fashioned printer about all my health considerations and whatnot and then oh i'm 
I'm uh, driving around a 1950s car and I'm in a society where everything's 1950s, but yet there's shiny metal incinerator showers and whatnot. Oh, uh, diesel pump. I would have been, if I hadn't had the year 2025, I would have just accepted it because it would, I am a wonder bread guy. I am the white of the whitest. I like West, uh, Wes Anderson films and know, which is again which is so weird to me why you just couldn't even like if I told you a time why would that bother you you don't say it's not time. that it bothered it, put... it, it stuck in his head it's not that it bothers him it's that he has this information so he's going down this particular path and he's as we've dev- shown multiple times with Dean he likes to go down a path and stick yeah. with it Dean it's the year 2000 what are we gonna do <laughs> It's the year 2000 and the aliens have come. We can now travel to space and we take our pills and we have to have, and we have to have in 2001, we have people going up into space in three piece suits and they're serving them like fully weird pasty meals on a thing. And we have a lady who has to Velcro herself to a thing so that she can walk upside down in the year 2000. How, how would you rectify 2001 a space odyssey? A movie that's supposed to take place in 2001. Uh, that it was in, like, what, uh, 40 years in the future? For, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be 10 years off. Sorry, Dean, it's 2035. My apologies. I apologize deeply for this. Would have that made it better? Tropes. If you have tropes, they are used in specific parts. It's it's like knowing that you need a lug nut for this versus a wing nut. It's it's oh, when you're you when you're I'll building a movie. If you're gonna be an artistic person, you don't necessarily say, "Oh, this is we're doing 1955." Dean, Dean, I'm gonna say this. I apologize then, but. If you remember, if you remember our, if you remember our stupid Shakespeare video, think about all the compromises we had to make for that. Uh, it was just an interesting because I think when you you said it uh, earlier, uh, Dean was about that it could be an alternate history and stuff like that, which you know it can still apply. And it was an interesting. Uh, it was somebody. It was on the um, podcast Blank Face from Rooster Teeth. Uh, they were talking. One guy was like. Unless I'm specifically told like X kind of information, like it's I just assume that if it's going to be it's a future movie that it takes place in my future. Mm-hmm. And and that's a real interesting. Yeah, because it's like, uh, for example, um, Cyberpunk 20, 20, uh, 2077. Yeah, that doesn't take place in our universe. That takes place yeah. in a different universe because of like a huge chunk of it happens in this decade. Yeah. Like what leads up to some of this. Yeah, it's and, not our cyberpunk future. It's the one that was built for specifically the RPG. Yeah, where certain things that had happened in an alternate history occurred to create that cyberpunk future. Yeah. Uh, and but, well, you know, very similar to um, why we don't have flying cars. Well, because something in our universe or something didn't happen. But in mm-hmm. that universe, it did. So therefore, they have flying cars in Back to the Future. Yep. And the thing is, is because like, Marty can... McFly went back in time, he screwed it all up. That's why yeah, we don't have flying cars. Dang it. And that's part of the thing is like I consume a lot of sci fi and fantasy stuff so I can put stuff out of my mind until but... I until I plant the seed. You inceptioned me.
Um, yes. But the thing is, is like I knew nothing about the movie at all. Yeah. But so it's like, OK, so it's so I'm, it's this. I'm, but I'm, how I'm, is this possible? It, Dean, it's all possible. I always think back to I always harken back to the old sci fi movies, like the old B movie of of yesteryear, because, again, I grew up on Mystery Science Theater. So that whole idea of going to the year 2000 or a man building a by building a prop plane into a time machine going 50 years into the future and nothing's changed. Crop dusting genius. Yeah. No, and I'm and genuinely, I am sorry if uh, if I say by saying that it was taking place in 2025, I threw you off. I, I do apologize for that. I don't want you. I don't. I don't want you to. I'll. 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 I'll do better next time. Now that I understand you better. Yeah, it was like, is this supposed to be twenty twenty five? It when, I don't know. There's something when somebody says a specific date, and yeah. depending on what it is, I'm just like, you know, two thousand twenty one or I mean two thousand one, a space odyssey. I knew that's an old movie and, you know, it's one of those old movies that just throw a date out there that's far enough in the future. Yeah. Well, and see, that's the thing. It's like for me, when you always do that, like and especially because he does use an indescript, not so not too distant future as the time. But for me, it's always that thing of because I've watched a lot of cheesy sci fi, I never take any date as a joke, except for like once we start to hit said dates. Like for me, like that whole thing of 2015 hits, like in Back to the Future 2, 2015 looked nothing like 2015 of Back to the Future, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's never going to be that way because we cannot predict the future. The closest we actually do get, kind of ironically, is Katika, just because minus this could be real, minus all the weird like facts that we've gone back to also 1950s clothing. It's just all the, you know, it's just the style, you know, having a specific date going against the style and what they could afford that stuff. And, you know, the directors are that's why I brought up Wes Anderson, because it's like, clearly, you know, this is modern day, but, you know, it's got Wes Anderson style, so it's going to have that mustard yellow all over the place and it's going to have 1970s weird year except for except for bottle rocket that's the only one that feels like it's a movie of its time 